But this morning, before we uh, dive into our passage in, of Scripture and, uh, and, and look at the word uh, that we're going to be kind of uh, using it to, to frame our, our time around this morning, I want to remind you of where we are. That back in February of this year, we began a series called Called Out. And, uh, and it is being called out by God, God being the one who speaks, calling us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We kind of uh, sat on uh, that and kind of the, the theme of that and just seeing that theme kind of played out in 1 Peter chapter 2, a very familiar passage, um, and in many different translations, uh, th- th- these phrases are, are loaded, but uh, where Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then he goes on in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this sense of the glorious uh, just the, those phrases that God ascribes to his people uh, in, in who we have become because he has called us out by his voice. And so when we go and we're starting to think through this idea of called out, we kind of thought through it in four seasons. Uh, the first one being the contrary voices that uh, kind of uh, come, come at us from the voice of culture, the voice of possibly your upbringing, the voice that kind of, um, that maybe uh, just, you know, the, the internal dialogue you have, uh, the contrary voices of the voice of God. And so we kind of looked at some of those contrary voices, and then we went into what is it for God's voice to be the very definition of how we see life. That God is speaking. He obviously is calling us out of our sin, out of darkness, out of all of those things. But he is also, when we draw near to him, he is speaking as well. And so as we looked at the idea of drawing near, we also uh, then spent many, many months in uh, the book of Hebrews. Now, book of Hebrews is talking about us drawing near to God, us considering Jesus, us paying much closer attention to him. So the, the, the story of the book is that of us drawing near to God, but yet in and of itself, as we spend time in the word, we're doing that. So we just wanted to hear God's voice together. We, we concluded Hebrews last week, and so now we're going to start into kind of a, all right, what now? All right, that, that's, we, we've drawn near, we hear the voice of God, so what? Kind of, what does that look like in the way that it changes the way that we live? Because God is not speaking to us just so that we can fill our head with knowledge or even that we would merely know him personally. God is calling us to something far greater than the orbit of your own individual person. And so what is it for us to, go back there, what is it for us to be the church? What are the implications of the gospel? What does it call us to? And are we in line? Are we a church that reflects what God calls us to in the goodness of his grace and the gospel. And then we're going to end up in Advent, take a little break, and then we're going to come out of the new year 
thinking through what is it for us to be kingdom-minded, seeing uh, the grace and the mercy of God reach to the community around us. It's pretty interesting timing in that we're going to be heading to our property somewhere around uh, that time frame, hopefully March or so. Uh, you know, footnote notwithstanding, construction schedules, uh, all that stuff. But, uh, but we're going to think through what is it for us to be a, a church that's on mission in our community. And so these four seasons, we're going to look at the third today. Today, the third being the church. And uh, and so when you, when you see that First Peter 2 passage, there's that sense where that, that it's not an individual you. Uh, you as an individual are uh, a part of a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. It's you all, you all as the church together, God's people, plural, the group of people made up of individuals, obviously, but the identity of you as an individual, as a son or a daughter of God, is rooted in not just the grace of God, but that you are a part of a people, a nation, a priesthood, a race. We, it is a collective group. Yes, you're saved by Jesus, but you are saved into his body. Body, the, the whole, he is the head, we're connected to him as the head, but we have this deep connection to the body as well. But it's amazing how easily we drift from what God intends. For some that, that have come in here, uh, you, you possibly, uh, you know, have, have, see your place where it, your love for God has waned. Or maybe others, our love uh, for his people has dried up. Or maybe others, you're going through the motions. And so as we heard with the children earlier, uh, here today, we're going to look at this passage. And we can be here, and we can be here reading the Bible, hearing the word, singing the songs, but here for some completely other reason than worshiping God. So I want to welcome us all before the throne of grace. I want to welcome us all into worship of our God because that's why we're here. But yet, if you're anything like me, it's amazing how easily we become focused on other things. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1, and I think verse 12 is going to be up on the screen. I will preface that with verse 11 uh, because need a little bit more context. But why don't we stand as we submit ourselves to the word of God. Verse 11 in Isaiah 1, he's speaking to his people. He says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And then he picks up in verse 12 on the screen. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of hearing, of bearing them. When you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full 
of blood. That's a stark, stark depiction of God's people. But then God says this, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Let's pray. God, uh, I think if there's any honesty in us today, Father, I think we have to begin with confession. We have to begin with putting our heart in front of you and saying, Father, uh, how many times do I live like that? Do I do all the things that you call me to do, but yet my heart is either calloused or turned away or focused on so many other things or just myself? Father, would you meet us there? Would you meet every one of us there? Father, in any way that that takes root, God, would you be the one that draws us to a place of repentance, that we would lay that before you, that we would beg for your forgiveness, but God, then you would renew us, that you would forgive our iniquity, you would forgive our sin, you would wash us clean. God, I pray that we would be a people that is just, that is just completely struck and awestruck with your goodness and your mercy. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we think about that idea of, of going through the motions, um, it is interesting because uh, when, you, when you hear a passage like that, God is saying that all these things that his people are doing in worship are, in a sense, detestable to him. But I want to lay before you something, and it's that it's possible that God hates what we do even when we do what he said to do. Okay, that's a lot of to-dos in there. Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's quite possible that God would hate what we do even when he commands those things to be done. Now, that might seem really odd, but uh, as people who are natural rule followers, or at least ones that want to earn people's favor by following rules, but we don't want to follow God's necessarily, we, 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 we are prone to be ones that behave outwardly, yet our heart goes unchanged. Okay? Even though God has come in and, and, and we, we profess faith in Christ and he has taken us from death to life, there's this, this natural propensity of the, of the flesh, of the old self, to start to take, uh, to take hold again. And we become dutiful rule followers without honoring God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Okay. The, the question God is asking is when you come into worship, okay, who's required that of you? And the answer is, uh, God, you did. But what does God liken the people of, of Judah coming in to worship, he doesn't call it coming before his presence, coming into his presence, glorifying his name. He terms it a trampling of the courts. Okay? One commentator uh, said that that word for trample is normally used as an act of judgment 
when some enemy army or an oppressor comes and tramples the land and the crops of its defeated foe. So God is using that word to describe his own people coming into worship. So the the very presence of his people, he's saying, wait a second, you're doing exactly what I've called you to do, yet it's as if you're just trampling things down like an oppressor. He goes on in verse 13. What does he say? He says, because of all this, bring no more vain offerings. He says incense, even the the smell of incense that would be pleasing to him is an abomination. New moons and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, which is gathering people together, which uh, after that long dash is explained, a convocation, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly, getting people together. Uh, So God says, make no more vain offerings. So you might be saying, okay, wait a second, I've come into church today. And my heart really isn't worshiping. Is he saying I should leave? No, what what I'm saying, what Isaiah is saying, and what God is saying to you, is that is that is a place of vain worship. Rather than coming in and going through the motions, God says, offer an offering uh, that is true in your heart, motivated by uh, worship of him, or come in this morning and worship. He says, offer no more vain offerings. They're doing exactly what God told them to do. Verse 11, they did burnt offerings of rams and all sorts of animals and and well-fed animals. They they brought their best. They did what God said they should do. They're doing what God told them to do, but God rejects it. God despises it. He even says he hates it. Now, that ought to be sobering as people that gather weekly before the presence of God. Okay? And hopefully you're, you're before the presence of God throughout the week with your family and yourself. And, uh, you know, you attend worship. Uh, they were attending worship. They were offering sacrifices and observing the Sabbath. They were doing the things that God was laying out. They were going through the motions. Now, what does going through the motions look like? Okay? When I was back in high school, the high, you know, on a ba- high school basketball team, you know, it's a long, grueling season. And, uh, you know, it's four months every day, blah, blah, blah. And, and usually about two, three months in, you show up at practice, you know totally what's going on. And the whole team kind of just shows up and is like, you know, just going through the drills. They're, you know, running the offense. They're just kind of, you know, they're moving, but not with any kind of zeal or passion. Okay, and our coach would, you know, his he would turn red, and and uh, actually, my high school coach was a college roommate of Tim Gerkink. Go figure. Uh, but um, all right, small world, and uh, and so he would just he would just go nuts. He's like, "What are you guys doing? You are merely going through the motions." And then he would motivate us. Uh, negatively, okay, uh, and uh, and we would run forever and all of that, and we would all of a sudden find zeal so that we would avoid the negative consequence. That is not what God is prescribing, but the going through the motions part is most definitely there. When we are doing the very thing that we know we should be doing, yet our heart is not there. 
We're, we're even taking real steps to do something, but our heart is not in love with what we are doing. There's no zeal for the living God. How does God describe that kind of thing, not playing basketball, but when we come into worship and we're going through the motions? How does God describe that? Is it, you know what, at least you're here. You know, I, th- that's worth something. How does God describe it? Go back to verse 10. We didn't read it on purpose because it needed the context. He's, this is his people. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the general sense of that city, you know, of those people, okay? They were, they were so uh, turned away from God that God burned the city up. It was Las Vegas on steroids in the ancient world. And he's saying to God's people, when you come into worship and your heart is far far from me, and yet you're doing the actions of worship, you are just like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're like, wait a second. I came to church. I should get some credit. It's not half credit. Like, okay, I'm here in in my head, but I'm not here in my heart. No, God rejects it. It's negative. It's destructive. It destroys uh, you, your heart, your family, and the church. The people of God. To be the people of God without a love for God, God rejects that. Like he rejected Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the very definition of pretending. You know, our, our... Culture is all about authenticity, and we're an authentic church, and all those different things. But to come into worship and go through the motions, yet not be worshiping our God, not be focused on him, and and, uh, a sense of repentant love for him, that really is pretending. Or even worse, are we using God? And I will submit to you, in all candor and honesty, I might lead the pack. How often, I can't tell you, I started to count this morning, how many times my mind went to something else other than who God is and what he's done in my life. Or even how many times my thoughts are not worshiping of him, but what am I going to say next when I get up here? Am I going to make a fool of myself? You know, half, half of me wonders, am I more... Am I more motivated to preach because of your approval or disapproval more than worship of my God? That's a real question in my heart at times. So where are you in that? Because why are you here this morning? Have you merely been going through the motions this morning? Have you been singing but without a heart of worship to your God? There really are so many ways to enter this room. It's not merely, you know, binary, you're a worshiper or not. But, you know, we kind of come in and and, uh, there's so many ways that we would uh, be considered just going through the motions. There might be some of you that came so that your kids would see you going to church. Okay? 
who is, being, who is on display in that scenario? Not God, but your effort of going into worship so that your kids will see and possibly uh, follow that. Uh, we, you know, we are, we're here that someone else might be appeased. Okay? A lot of times that happens along, around the holidays. Ah, I'm here for my mom. Uh, or, or our minds are set on other things, not simply wandering, but truly set in, lo- in love with other things other than the Lord. Or our heart is not moved by the awe and the presence of God. Can you relate? Let's not fly by that last one, that we're not moved by the awe and the presence of of God. We're not moved by a love for him. What is the greatest commandment? I know the ladies were studying that on Thursday evenings. They're going to continue to study it on their retreat. What's the greatest commandment? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the greatest commandment, yet if we're really honest, we seek the lesser commands without attention to the first. But here's the thing. It's not only when we come into worship. I think it starts to grow out of that, but it it also extends to our efforts as a church. Isn't it so easy to do great things for God but not have God at the center of them? amazing how easy that is. It's easy to have functions and activities at church, but do them all without a need for God. And so uh, many guys in our church are going through um, just a study called GRIP. Um, uh, Perry Bowers and his ministry leads guys to just uh, develop regular rhythms of meeting with God. Okay? It's not a Bible study per se, but it is just encouraging guys to do that. And one of the aspects that they ask us to do is go on a personal retreat. You know, take many hours away, put your cell phone away, get away from distractions, and just spend time alone with the Lord. Well, in good Perry fashion, um, every time we would uh, read something, discover something, what is some, like a, a takeaway, an action point that you will bring out of the application of what you've just discovered. And I was scratching down all these things, and I was up to, I don't know, how many pages I was into my retreat. And uh, I was, you know, had it probably about 10 or so that I was working on, and I started to write in the next area, and, um, and I got about halfway through it. And I'm like, this is garbage. Is this? I mean, they were great ideas. You know, pray for people more, spend more time in the word. But, you know, they were really good ideas. I can't poke holes in them. But yet, I asked myself the question, is this more about Keith or about God? And and it... There, you know, two hours into this pursuit of God, it's amazing. As as these things were coming up, they just felt like uh, they they felt like mere things that would shape my life up, where I would go and do, and uh, rather than what did I scratch on the page was I am desperate for God's power for any of these things to be helpful, and so then I went back to every page, just a desperation. For God, and if that is not where we live, are, could we possibly be where I was in that we might be merely going through the motions, desperate for God's power, desperate for God Himself? 
So Francis Schaeffer, he's now with the Lord, but he wrote True Spirituality, um, one of the, the greatest apologetic thinkers of the 19, 1900s. Uh, and he said this, our greatest danger is not liberalism, modernism, postmodernism, biblical criticism. The greatest danger is the church doing the work of ministry in the power of the flesh. I.e., doing good things without God in the middle of them. Doing the things that God called us to do, the work of ministry, but yet we do it in our own strength and our own power. This is a real danger for God's people. I'm not just saying, hey, Isaiah 1, let's study this. This is a real danger. But the flip side is the amazing grace of God. What would it look like if Grace Point was a church that didn't just go through the motions, but was a church that was so in love with and passionate to know God that that started to change the way we, not just the way that we behaved and what we did, but why we behave the way that we do. What would start to change? What would look different if we were so enamored uh, with the living God rather than merely trying to think of what we might do? And so uh, just, just to get the full picture uh, of this, uh, that God does not think highly of us merely going through the motions. Verse 14 and 15, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And that idea of being full of blood, um, commentators are all over the map on what that's referring to. Um, It's some sense of guilt, obviously. But in context, they're offering sacrifices. This is Keith's commentary. Uh, they're, They're offering sacrifices, but yet they are not sacrifices done in faith. They're covered in blood. They're still stained in their guilt. Yet they, they pray many prayers and God is saying, Mm-mm, that's not going to work. But a heart of worship then, it's not just that, that um, God can oppose the, when we just do outward behaviors, but a heart of worship moves us to love other people. Look at verses 16 and 17. I have to say, this is kind of... I love when the prophets do this. Here's the problem. You're worshiping by going through the motions. Now, this is what you should do. And it has nothing to do with what they just set up. At least on face value. You know, you're going through the motions and all these different things. Verse 16, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. But now hear the positive thing that starts to flow out. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. So the the heart of worship is going to move us to love other people. Why? Because the first things that he just says, what's the... In the midst of this problem, what is the, what's the imperative for us to do? Verse 16, wash yourselves. Because when you start to have a heart of worship, the first thing that we truly become aware of is our sin before God. That great chasm between our righteousness and God's holiness. 
or our brokenness and sin, and yet the holiness of God. That awareness ought to grow. But if we're just going through the motions, does the awareness of our struggle and our sin become apparent at all? No. And so if we, if we don't think we've been forgiven much, what does Jesus say? We're not going to love much. But when we see God for who he is in worship, when we focus our attention on who he is and his grandeur and his majesty and his holiness, and then we become woefully aware of our sin, our need, we also understand the grace that he shows us. And this sense of wash yourselves is not just go get your worship straight. It is repent before the Lord so that he may make you new. Look at verse 18. Come, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall now be as white as snow. It's the sense where God is the one who cleanses the, the conscience of the worshiper. And so our awareness of sin in the midst of worship then leads us to love other people. Who, who are the people that kind of come to light here? You know, in verse 17 especially, you know, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Their needs, the fatherless, the widows. James 1 would say true religion is this, that you would care for orphans and widows in their affliction. affliction. That's what true faith looks like. And so here we pick up uh, the fatherless and the widow's cause. We're going to have Orphan Sunday on November 10th, seeing the reality of God's people taking on the cause of those around them. But the awareness of other people, those two people are, are named for a reason. What can a fatherless child in that society offer back to anybody that helps them? Nothing. A widow who does not and cannot own property in that society has no way of earning a living by herself. What can she offer back? Nothing. And so when we are in the midst of worship, we develop a heart for people around us especially the people around us that can't repay the love that you've been given, that you're giving to them. And that sounds a whole lot like the gospel, doesn't it? The love that Jesus showed to us while we were dead in our sins, while we were his enemies, that's when Christ died for us. He didn't do it so that we could pay him back. He did it out of his own pleasure and his own will. So when we are, uh, are changed by the gospel, we, we find ourselves being aware of other people and their needs just as much as we became aware of our own. But it's not just people, but it's also causes and things that are just unjust and corrupt. Uh, you know, remove the evil of, of your deeds, cease to do evil, but learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. What is it when we are gripped by uh, the sense of who God is and we come in in worship? Where does that bring us? It brings us outside of ourselves. We live in a society that uh, everything orients around me, 
right? We live in a me society. Oftentimes, we look for a me church. Is it going to suit my needs? Does, do I like, do they play my music style? Are my kids going to be fed? Are my, my, me, me? And so it's not just the society, but it comes right in the middle of the church as well. But the gospel brings us where? Outside of ourselves. When we uh, have a heart of worship, it moves us to truly love each other, uh, each other well. It moves us beyond what we want and need in kind of a me-centered thought process. And we start to look uh, to the needs and the connections and, and, and the friends. Not only that we can see their needs, but it starts to expose that we need them just as much as they need us. And in the midst of worship, we start to see that. Are you going through the motions this morning? If you find yourself, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what's the second, second commandment? The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The love of God always shows up in the love of people. If you find yourself lacking there, maybe God is calling you to a place of repentance, to be renewed and re, uh, restored in his grace this morning. Let's pray. God, uh, would you take your word, would you use it mightily in our midst? Uh, God, um, even now, as we're going to close our time with a song, Father, I pray that we would have a heart of worship of you, uh, not uh, thinking about everything else that's going around. Uh, Father, what is it for us to be so focused on you that, that uh, our lives and our hearts would change. Father, not just in this room in a, in a collective worship service, but God, even as we go out, uh, would you make us ones who are not merely going through the motions or assume that you're around, but God, that we are desperate, desperate that you would be at work, desperate for your power and your grace in our lives. Father, I pray uh, that we would be people that are uh, growing in our love for you. And Father, when we find ourselves out of step with that, that you would just draw us back to a place where we can lay our heart before you and you can renew and you can restore. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.